Welcome to Media, Culture, and Why We Feel Like Crying So Much. Each week, we analyze everyday media objects like TikToks, reality TV shows, songs, films, and more. We hope to offer profound insights into our shared reality. I'm Stephanie Che. And I'm Grant Latanzi. Today, we are talking about everyone's social media platform, TikTok. We're going to get into how it impacts the ways that its billion users think about the world around them, learn about themselves, and develop their identities. This idea really came from a paper that I presented at the University of Pittsburgh, and it was really about moving images and social behaviors. And I talked And by moving images, you mean everything? Movies? Yeah. Boomerangs? TikToks? I came in with TikTok, but this was a film and media studies department. So they were doing like eight millimeter and 35 millimeter film. And we got to do like a little film festival with like actual film, like he was putting in the reel and you could hear it. It was really cool. Um, And then I came in with TikTok. And I was the only person to talk about TikTok. (laughs) So that was really fun. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we should talk about the podcast a little bit and where this even came from. Where did this podcast come out of? So I am taking a podcasting class right now. Mm-hmm. And in trying to find a topic, I was like, what can I keep going forever, basically? Because if you think of some like TV show-based podcast, like what do you do after you're done watching the show, stuff like that. And I really love talking about the mundane things and talking about everyday things. And um, Grant and I both took a critical theory class last semester. And Roland Barthes was was one of my main like critical theorists that I put in all of my papers. I draw on him a lot. And I was really inspired by his mythologies. And I obsessively talk about media practices to my friends, which is good and fun. But, you know, I thought this would be a little more productive. And then I brought Grant in. Yeah. So uh, Steph reached out to me to be a partner in production. I was TA for the critical theory course and had taken the same course a year prior, but I'd taken the whole class in March 2020, or not March 2020, sorry, uh, fall 2020. It all feels like March 2020, doesn't it? But that's a different discussion. That's my other (laughs) Since so much of my life was being lived through social media or consuming media at the time when everything was closed and there wasn't really the opportunity to have face-to-face time any with anyone I really I was really really impacted by some of the work that we learned about in the critical theory course Roland Bards yeah is I mean what he does is it sometimes feels more like poetry than than social theory or critical theory he has this wonderful way of talking about things like wine or professional wrestling or detergent commercials and somehow uncovering really insightful and profound things about culture or like we said, the social world. And um, yeah, the focus on daily life, I think is huge because I don't know about you stuff, but as I walk around day to day, the way that I just think about my surroundings and I, I live in New York City. So even looking at things like graffiti art and and ads on the subway it's 
really been enriched by this stuff, which makes me want to share it with others. So I was really, really excited when you approached me about the podcast. I'm so excited. Yeah, um, me too. And talking about New York City, you're based out of New York City. I'm based out of DC, have lived here my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, frequently went up to New York, but I've never actually lived there. But on TikTok and through like YouTube videos, I feel like another aspect of the environment that I consume is New York City because a lot of the influencers I follow are based out of New York City. So I know about restaurants, I know about coffee shops, I know about like certain events that are happening and I don't even live there. Yeah, we're about to get into TikTok as sort of a place where we navigate culture and learn about the world around us, but it's sort of separated from physical places. But I totally agree with you. Like I felt like I was getting to know New York the minute my algorithm knew that I was interested, somewhat interested in this city. And that's a really sort of interesting tie between a, a physical place and this ethereal realm of media that we're about to dive into. So have you heard the, you are the makeup of the five closest people around you? Mm-hmm. So how does that work with social media when like the five people that are around you are on social media and might be people you don't even know? They are these influencers from other cities. Do you think that? affects us in any way? That's a good question. I think it would depend on the nature of those five people. Because like you said, if if it's five influencers that make up the majority of my interaction, that seems like a sort of parasocial thing. Like there might be something going on that's mm-hmm. not great for that individual. However, the past two years before I moved to New York was in a long distance relationship. So honestly, the person that I interacted with most, I was very rarely physically present with. And so your thought made me think, how does that, if the five people, you know, are scattered across space and time in different countries, different states, how does that affect it? You know, because if I'm the average of these five people, I'm not ever even in the room with them. I could see both of those sort of processes having a big impact. So as a frequent TikTok user, that's where my expertise is coming from right now. And also I want to say no shade. We're not bashing social media practices, even if we're being critical of them or critiquing them. Like we're living this media life the same as our hundreds of listeners that we're going to have, you know, we're not saying, oh, social media, bad grass good which it you know (laughs) in a sense is true but in a lot of other ways is just really oversimplifying things but anyways i i've noticed that when people talk about tiktok it comes up pretty often they often mention the algorithm or like my tiktok shows me a lot of this my tiktok shows me a lot of that and it's almost like this magical little little window that you get to look in and it shows you things and it knows things about you. And the little, the part of it that knows you is the algorithm. And so I've had that thought. And then I encountered this idea in an an old, not a very old, uh, like 10 year old media theory book called Media Life. So I'm drawing from an argument made by a guy named Flusset, a French born philosopher who was talking about the history of photography in 1983. And he says that people think about media technologies, cameras, screens, whatever, as black boxes. 
and what the quote is, history will flow into the box and it will come out under the form of myth and magic. So that coming out myth and magic part really sort of, I was like, that's what I feel like comes out of technologies like TikTok. But how does history flow in? But then I started thinking sort of what he means by history. And what he really means is the spirit of the present moment, the ideas and, and values and experiences and fields of experiences that are available to people through the, the technologies and the political social organizations of the day. So what's going in is us taking these literal black boxes, little black mm -hmm. rectangles we carry yep. everywhere, and recording, letting history flow in, in so many different ways, text entry, uh, images, photos, because there is still a lot of text on TikTok. We don't want to forget about the yes. reading. It's not yes. just video. But so when I started to think about it that way, is history or the spirit of our times flowing in through people recording, and then myth and magic flowing out through the algorithm, I really, I just started to appreciate how the seeming like randomness of the videos on the For You page or even on the like suggested accounts function is actually shaping how people think about the world and how they understand the, not only the material things around them, but the sort of social, cultural, political scape as well. And then what's trendy, what political races are going to get the most attention increasingly, which I think politics will be a whole other discussion for us. But <laughs> so my question for you is, first, what are your sort of everyday thoughts on the algorithm? What's your algorithm like? And does it get you right? Do you think that your algorithm knows who you are and shows you the type of videos that you want to see. I just cannot stop smiling here <laughs> because July 2020 was 10 years of One Direction. Mind you, they've been broken up for years now. But I was so into liking and engaging with One Direction-based content on TikTok that that was the only thing I was getting <laughs> for about two months and it got to a point in August where I was like I need to fix this because right now the algorithm only thinks my life is one direction whether it be yeah. their solo careers or like funny videos from way back when you'd prefer a Harry Styles focus is that correct Interesting. So I'm a big <laughs> Nile girl. You're a Nile girl. <laughs> I'm a Nile I, girl. I just knew that you didn't you see Harry at Madison Square Garden twice? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> that is simply because Nile has not gone on tour. Ah. Okay. Um <laughs> no, and then Harry Styles is also the most like I feel like you can express oh, it I mean, better with great... him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there we go. Like I'm a big Nile girly, but a lot of the content I get is Harry Styles. And of course, every intellectual conversation comes back to Harry Styles in One Direction. But moving on, the algorithm like does get me. And it's a little freaky sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, because there are times where I get like motivational things or very like productive based content. Like here's a to-do list. Here's mm -hmm. a journal entry that you can do if you are feeling like low, but you need to get shit done today. I think another part of the algorithm that is really freaky is I know 
a lot of people were getting ADHD based and like anxiety TikToks and trauma based TikToks and being like, oh my God, everything I do is a trauma response. Yeah. Or like, I think I have autistic spectrum disorder. Yes. And so like, we might tangentially go down a conversation or down a path of talking about mental health on social media and Mm -hmm. whatever it may be like raising awareness, stuff like that. But I remember I was watching that and I was like, I do have anxiety, but I am also the type of person where it's like, oh no, I don't have anxiety. And then I see stuff like that and I'm like, oh, maybe I do have anxiety. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, like you were literally diagnosed. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it's like, I'm interpreting behavior that I have Mm -hmm. uh, that maybe doesn't have an explanation in my mind, but I see something that explains it as that's because of your anxiety. Yes. There it is. Yeah. And I don't know. We're trying to make meaning of Mm -hmm. ourselves and through other people. That's, yeah, we're trying to make meaning of ourselves through other people and through watching other people and interacting with them through comments and stitches. And we'll get into the remix parts of TikTok in a little bit. There was one point you touched on that I wanted to respond to. Oh, uh, yeah. So I've seen this, this ADHD. I'm, my, my siblings and I are all we're dead ringers for ADHD (laughs) and we've all been diagnosed. Some of us are medicated and it's just, you know, it's, it's a focus thing. I, at the end of the day, just am a laser beam. And so it's a good thing we're doing this at the, in the morning. (laughs) Um, But I think it's really interesting going back to TikTok that people that may or may not know much about mental health and wellness I know a little bit. I've been working for the past year at a mental health agency in Oregon, and I do research for them as well as manage their digital media. So I've learned a little bit about the provider side and just what sorts of care are available. And I've noticed that there are certain diagnoses that seem kind of stickier on TikTok and other Mm -hmm. social media where people are talking about them a lot. And it's like you're saying, I think people, not that people are self-diagnosing, but it does make you think. Mm-hmm. And people are talking about these specific ones so much, ADHD, anxiety, depression, that a lot of other a lot of other things that can be wrong or diagnosed as wrong with a person's behavior or mental state mm-hmm. are sort of forgotten. And since people don't know that those diagnoses exist, maybe someone would see that and identify with it and actually understand, oh, I might have some sort of, you know, DID or some other disorder that is invisible and that isn't being talked about in any sort of discourse on TikTok or elsewhere. In terms of access, so not a lot of people are able, I'm very much generalizing here, but a lot of people don't have the access to mental health services that they need. So on the flip side of this, the algorithm bringing these conversations up, do you think it's helpful that's a good question. I would want to ask mental health care providers what they think That's about fair. talking about it. Because <laughs> yeah. like, you know, if you're dealing with someone that comes into therapy with a self-diagnosis, strong belief they have ADHD, but maybe it's something else, or maybe they, they just have undergone some high stress period or, you know, it can be a lot of things. So that part makes me worry a little bit, but I am really glad in general to see discourse happening at all because I think it kind of dawned on me the other day basically it came up that the phrase mental health 
or mental illness still has a connotation for some people like, oh, you're seeing a shrink. Like it's it, the, the way that I think younger generations have learned to talk about mental health and incorporated in normalized for lack of a better word mm -hmm. is I'm so glad because you know when I was a kid first diagnosed with anxiety depression that was really isolating and I had no idea how many people could share that struggle so I guess that's another benefit then is that someone who is dealing with that can see people and get management tips and connect with the community so I guess yeah I I think of it pretty positively but then you know, I'm sure if we asked a misinformation expert or something that they would have additional thoughts. Oh, definitely. So bringing it back to your first question, does the algorithm know you? Uh, I think so, because I mean, it keeps my attention, but I think it thinks I'm a much younger Gen Z. I think it thinks I'm like high school, college, and yeah. I've have a, a master's degree. So uh, I I noticed that one thing with mine is I feel this might be just me being paranoid, but I feel like it's different at different times of day. Like in the morning, I see lots of dog videos. I usually will go on my phone while I have coffee, go on, you know, read the news, check social media. Um, so I see lots of dog videos, not complaining there. But then at night, I'll start to see like outright, <laughs> like what is essentially socialist propaganda. And I don't know how I get from dogs to that, but I can't help but feel like it's not a coincidence. I think that's so funny. <laughs> it's yeah, I guess that's like, so yeah, it, I'm a socialist dog lover to my TikTok, um, which in reality, <laughs> I'm a dog lover and my political views aren't important. I'm hoping anyone listening out there, shoot us a message on Instagram. Let us know if your algorithm gets you right. What, what does your algorithm think about you that may or may not be true? My final soapbox tweet on the algorithm is, it's hard to remember this, but it was designed and made by people, a lot of people. And it is continually iterated and improved in line with those people's objectives. So I think though it is a black box and we don't really understand how this algorithm works or we haven't unpacked it yet. And we even, you know, just this whole thing is so mysterious. It, there are people behind every part of it. And keeping that in mind, I think, can instead of letting the algorithm sit as something mysterious, can kind of let us grab it as something to observe and be like, what is the algorithm doing? Anyone who comes across political content on TikTok, see what happens if you watch a video a couple times, because I bet you'll keep getting videos that demonstrate those views. So let's be curious and playful with the algorithm because it's not as inaccessible as we think it is. I want to talk a little more about identity and this pairs well with the algorithm in making meaning of yourself through the content that you engage with and you see on an everyday basis. When TikTok becomes a social thing, we'll go into what I mean by like thing in a little bit. <laughs> um, what am I trying to say here? 
you talking about identity, I'd love mm-hmm. for you to talk about that more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I've thought like, how do I know what sort of people are out there that I can be like? How do I learn, you know, I'm a guy, I'm in my 20s. How do I look at people around me and see like, I could be like that, or I could be like that. How do you learn what options are available when it comes to your identity or how to identify? And I, I think that I, I think that learning through media and platforms like TikTok mm-hmm. is a big part of it. I can be into this or that. Like what, where do you sit in the cafeteria, in the social media cafeteria? Are you with the, the band kids? Are you with the jocks? Are you with the preps? Like, but I feel like it happens on TikTok. I have two things that come to my head. The mm-hmm. first one is our seeking of role models has really broadened. So before without social media, you one were limited to the people around you or who were on the news, on TV, in magazines, stuff like that. But now you have an open playing field of people to like model after and see other goals that people have. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of them. And then the other uh, piece of it is the way that TikTok is structured, I feel is similar to how Tumblr was structured. So on TikTok, there is book talk. Not everybody is in book talk. There is DC TikTok. Not a lot of people are on DC TikTok. And that goes more into like coffee and again, like politics or certain clothing styles, because I remember when like Cottagecore and Dark Academia were big, I was getting suggestions for like how to fit into this aesthetic, stuff like that to really bring you in to this one identity. So, yeah. And yeah. so then that's not even like making, it's like, cause you, you I liked the, what you said, like making meaning of yourself, but then it goes further into how to express that meaning that you make. And mm-hmm. I think platforms are huge for that. Like this is what, you know, a, a girl boss in Soho wears. And so yes. if I want to be like that, that's the sort of wardrobe. And it's fun to sort of like go through the um, buffet room of identities that yeah. come up. But it also makes me wonder what's missing that might, is it limiting? Is it freeing? Maybe a bit of both. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like we were putting ourselves in boxes. I didn't know what cottagecore was before (laughs) TikTok. Like, but then once I discovered it, I was like, oh my God, I also like sitting in a meadow and reading. I found parts of it that I liked, but then it got to a point where I was like, oh, if I am in the cottagecore aesthetic, can I not be in like the dark academia aesthetic? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, my wardrobe is now clashing because I didn't actually buy into this, but what happens when you are buying things to fit into an aesthetic and it doesn't match you as a person as you grow and find other interests? Like that entire dark academia, cottage core, I'm forgetting the others right now, but that was very short-lived. It's still mm-hmm. an aesthetic now, but it's not as talked about. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're, yeah, we're seeing other ways to express our interests but we're also having a tendency to pigeonhole ourselves yeah I think that's well said and I think that whole thing is kind of complicated once the marketing people 
figure out that there's a want for this sort of style. Mm -hmm. And there's a medium that already has advertising abilities built in. So how do I then depict people or depict something, the world, or what a certain type of person looks like Mm -hmm. so that you buy this thing? Yes. I want to be very clear about something. I hate ads so much Mm -hmm. and I respect them. I get it. I know that it's a huge industry, but I'm going to get, I'm going to get mad about ads sometimes. And that's, (laughs) that's going to be part of the podcast. That's a side note, but yes, it's because it's not just people making these things it's also whole teams of which are still people i i shouldn't phrase it that way but it's not it's not you know what you think of an individual with their phone just making the content it's also whole production studios now and cgi in movies that they want to somehow fit in a different shape screen for the sake of an ad and that doesn't have to do with identity at all so i want to get back to your point was there more (laughs) that you wanted to talk about on identity no i think that can tie in with identity because when we talk about influencers influencers are now another form of advertising do you know of the coastal grandma aesthetic or trend coastal grandma which coast just coastal (laughs) Uh, no I don't think I know that one so it was big this summer and it was a lot of like knits and like I guess you're on the cape and you're wearing blues and it's not like beach house but it's like rich people on the cape coastal I guess okay I am doing an injustice to this trend But I remember when that was really big, a lot of influencers were putting out what they were buying. So like J. Crew was behind this. Abercrombie was in this as well of like, oh, if you want to fit this aesthetic, shop at these places. Mm -hmm. And one, we're consuming, what are we consuming? So many things at once. Yes. (laughs) We're consuming ads as entertainment so there's that but also how advertising fits in with identity (laughs) sorry you said ads and I jumped to action yes (laughs) Instagram sometimes like I'll click on an ad because I'll see something shiny that I might want to buy yeah but then it's it's on the discover page or whatever they call it now and then when you scroll if you start with an ad every single post after that will be an ad It's so annoying. And so in that way, they trick you because you click on an ad. Mm -hmm. And then if you're me, you forget that that's how you found this. And then you just start scrolling. And then 10 minutes go by and you've been just swiping through commercials. Yes. And you've been duped. Yes. (laughs) So don't, yeah, don't let TikTok or Instagram or anyone else dupe you. That's another takeaway from this pod, I think. Yes, for sure. Like, what are we actually seeing what are we actually consuming what are we actually engaging with Mm -hmm. who's benefiting from it (laughs) who's benefiting from it (laughs) yeah these are questions that you know as you swipe through tiktok i'm not saying it's like you know reading a book or a or literature but it does make it really interesting it does (laughs) yeah So we've been talking about identity and I I sort of brought up how media, what we see in movies and on TV and in social media and 
ads and all the other media we are consuming all the time, which again, not a judgment. That's just the way of the world right now. And maybe it'll change or maybe it'll grow more severe. I don't know. But we're at a place where media is everywhere. And we do so much manipulating media. We learn so much about the world and about ourselves through media. And if anyone is kind of on the fence doubting the power of that, of these technologies on how people behave and interact with each other, look at how quickly new phrases can enter the shared lexicon of hundreds of thousands, millions of people. I've come to understand so many new words just being on, well, at one point as a teen, like the slang would be on social media and you sort of, for me, it was Twitter. It's like, oh, I learned a new slang word, like swag. That's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> and then, and now slay. And that's a word that we can say and people yeah. know what it means. And that's sort of proliferated through social media or even more specific examples. I think it was about a year ago, some guy from Staten Island called Joe Biden, Joe Byron. And then the president interacted with him or like, like made a joke about it. And so it's, if you doubt the power of that, just look at how fast we can get new material to communicate with from the internet. So that, that's sort of my, my starting point. So I started thinking, we were also talking about TikTok and studios making TikToks or advertising agencies making them and sort of taking a big piece of that, of the TikTok pie. And so when you look at it, you can't help but see that stuff. However, I, I would argue that that type of problem was a greater threat before social media technology. Because if it's only the wealthy production companies making the movies that you have to physically go to a theater to watch, then they're the ones who get to decide what you see and therefore what there is. So if I go to the movies and it's, you know, Chris Evans or Chris Pratt in every movie, I'm going to start to think that's what a person is or like that's how I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But I think TikTok has, of all the social media sites so far that I know how to use, it has so many tools that anyone can learn to use if they're, you know, fortunate enough to have access and education around digital media, formal or informal. For example, the announcement that the queen died and remix it into a beat. Or, you know, how long did it take before Will Smith slapped Chris Rock before it was remixed into something much larger than to wealthy celebrities in a physical altercation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really powerful because every once in a while, some random person will slam dunk on one of these people with resources making the content and say something really funny or insightful or profound. And that will also go viral. And yeah. so it sort of feels like TikTok came up to us and is like, here's, you know, scissors to cut stuff. Here's sound editing tools, stickers filters, text, you can put photos and slideshows, stories now, mm -hmm. here you go. And you're just sort of standing there. You're like, well, what do I do with this? And hopefully, and it seems to be that the impulse is to make something. And so we've had some more negative things to say about TikTok, but I think that that's a really, a really huge upside that the more we can take advantage of it and use it to make things that we like, or that we might even think of as art, mm -hmm. the better off we're going to be because the technology is there and the media is everywhere already and it's not going away. So we may as well figure out 
how to use it in a way that makes us feel fulfilled and not like crying all the time. So I want to respond to your absolutely beautifully phrased thoughts (laughs) (laughs) with three things. First is participatory culture and Mm -hmm. how we are now able to engage with media that we didn't really have before. I think of, yeah, like the remixes. I think of when a movie comes out, how you can put your own spin on it. Like I know in Call Me By Your Name, Elio shows Oliver his place like on the river and he's like, I come here to read. And a lot of people went on TikTok and they used that sound and was like, oh, this is my spot. I come here to read. And Mm -hmm. I thought that like, you're really applying what you see to your own life. But then on the other hand of when the queen died or when some big cultural moment happens, we're able to converse we're able to add our own input you mentioned how before it was big industry people who were making these films and setting the expectation of what is in our culture but now that people have the tools everybody can do that earlier this year tiktok and the Cannes film festival partnered up they had a tiktok short film competition they even selected winners And a little bit of context is that Cannes made headlines a couple years ago for banning selfies on the red carpet. And Cannes is one of the big three film festivals, like very exclusive, very luxurious, very much like high designer brands walking the red carpet. And then they partnered with TikTok. And one of the TikTok short film competition winners really encouraged everybody to be a creator, not just a consumer. And I think it was with TikTok that we really saw a turn of people creating and not just consuming. And like Instagram, sure, you were taking your own photos and posting it, but that was very limited to the people you were following and engaging with. Whereas on TikTok, you can make those films. Like you don't need a camera. You don't need Adobe Premiere. You can do everything in the app. Yeah. I agree with you, especially when you really say production, because I also, I think there have been other platforms on the internet like Reddit or, or Tumblr, where people have been making things, albeit often very strange things. Um, (laughs) But that, I mean, I'm here for it. There's weird stuff in museums too, but going back to, yeah, remix, like TikTok is the one that it's a one-stop shop for all these Mm -hmm. tools. And as you are saying with the film festival, it's feels to be growing more legitimate for a while. It was like, oh, only Gen Z's on TikTok. And now it's, it's, I know their numbers are up. We should look up how many people are on TikTok. Are you doing that right now? <laughs> yeah. I just, if it comes up, you never know. Yeah. One billion users. Whew. Wow. I, that is, I would have thought like half that. That's a lot of people. That's more people than I know. I have a number. One source reports how 80% of TikTok's U.S. audience is between the ages of 16 and 34, with 26% between the ages of 25 and 44. So there are people on either end of that. Like, there's all ages, it sounds like. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, do you ever encounter, like, a child's TikTok and they've made a video that is just (laughs) chaos? Yes. 
Oh, it's so funny. I have many little cousins and sort of all different grades, middle and high school. And they're very interesting. I can tell they spend a lot more time texting and, and in group chats than because you know those became popular when I was in high school or so. Mm -hmm. And but now it's a, a pretty vital part of their social lives, it seems. Yeah. You don't have to ask them. I and a couple of them have even gone viral for TikToks once or twice just for random videos they made. And that's yeah, it's kids these days with their phones, I guess. Yeah. That's what <laughs> all I'm saying. We are anticipating having a, an entire episode dedicated to this theorist, Guy Debord, and his idea of the spectacle, which is put forward in his book, The Society of the Spectacle. One of my favorite books I've ever read, but you had something related to that that you wanted to touch on now. Yes? Yes. So I want to talk about how TikTok is now the present model of a socially dominant life. When we are talking about TikTok and how people are now making TikToks together, making their own TikToks, and that is just how they go about their lives. Like, how is this now a social relation facilitated by images? I think that's like everything, not just TikTok, but like, yeah. there are many routine things, more or less routine, you know, like social events or going to the park or, you know, whatever I might do. Where if I if I do it, and I think other people might feel the same way, I I feel as though it's not complete without some sort of documenting, or documenting it is already built in. If it's date night and the cocktails come out, I know there's probably going to be a documenting. Or if it's if it's catching up with friends and um, we're leaving somewhere, we're probably going to want to find somewhere to stop, take a group picture. Like th mm -hmm. those things are. It's almost uh, as important as like setting a time. It's like anticipated that it will be documented. And yes. I find getting dressed like that has to be taken into account sometimes. So I think I think TikTok as one of the most thorough ways to document and mm -hmm. share, since you can do all different text, image, video, sound. I see that going beyond because, you know, even people that aren't on TikTok might post like that on their Snapchat story or... Yeah. They might Facebook. be really, there are a lot of people on Facebook. We can't forget this. Yeah. Or sometimes LinkedIn. If I do something for my job, I feel like I have to post about it because that's like what makes it real. There's almost like a legitimizing effect mm -hmm. that this media has on our experiences. And I don't, I don't know that I know why, but I definitely think that the spectacle has something to do with it. Yeah. And that is a cliffhanger because that's that sentence is not going to make any sense until we talk about the spectacle. <laughs> but that's a tough, that was a good, that's a tough question. I'm not sure. Did you really do, oh my God, this is like back to Vine of like, did you really do something if you didn't post it? Do it for the Vine. Do it for Vine would be some fun to talk about too, because yeah. Vine has become like, I feel like the ghost of Vine is still out there. Yes. Like, Have you seen Vine compilations on TikTok? Oh, all the time. I love them because seven seconds is the exact length of time of my attention span, as if TikToks weren't short enough. One thing also about Vine, this is not related, but have you noticed how a very important part of comedic timing on TikTok, it seems, 
is cutting off at the right time. And often that means interrupting the last word or a scream or some sort of component. Mm -hmm. But I can't help but feel like that has to do with Vine. I think actually someone's made this whole point that Vine, it would just cut you up. You had no choice. And it's seven seconds. And so people, TikTok, even though it can be up to three minutes, will cut it with that same sort of like, I got to get this out and then it ends. Yeah. Even though that's completely fabricated. But it does kind of make it the joke land. Often, mm-hmm. which then right. goes back to identity because it, it's sort of how do I express my identity in what I wear, but then how I show what I wear and how I text and what punctuation I use. And, and all those elements go in when you're making captions or subtitles for your TikToks. And so mm-hmm. none of this is insignificant. And going back to what you said at the beginning, this is from daily life. You know, this is part of our daily lives and we're interested in how it impacts our daily lives it's not insignificant. It's not just, you know, it's not just social media. It's a big part of the way things work now. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, you can check out the two other premiere episodes out now. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at media culture and why pod, where you can message us or answer the questions from the episode. Bye.